So great to be in the house of God this morning. So great to be with you wonderful people of God. But most importantly, it's great to feel the presence of God. Amen. I say all the time, if we're not careful, we'll come to the house of God week after week and feel the presence of God. If we're not careful, we'll begin to trivialize that. We'll begin to lose the awesome wonder of what it means to have the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to have that God make himself manifest among us, to have that God inhabit our praise. I believe that means anything can happen. Any stronghold can be broken. Any mind can be lifted because God is here. Anything, anything can take place. Amen. I like what I feel in this house. I give honor to Pastor Chance, his family, uh, the leadership here, Pastor Rory, his family, uh, a friend of mine. I'm happy to be able to call him a friend and just to be here with you great people of God. So great to see Sister Chance. Amen. Such an iconic figure in our in our movement. And it's great to have my wife with me here today. I don't often get to travel with her. Amen. But it's always a treat to have my wife with me. Amen. But this is a unique time of year. I love the beginning of the year because there is kind of a kind of a focus, almost an instinctive focus on possibilities, what can be. And you almost kind of close the door to some extent on yesterday and you kind of look to tomorrow. And I do believe in this new year that God is calling his people higher. I believe God is calling us to walk in greater purpose, greater anointing, greater passion. God is calling us. And I believe in this service, God is going to break some things that might be holding some people back, whether we're talking about the attacks of the enemy or whether we're talking about the effects of your yesterdays. God is going to break some things so somebody can walk in greater purpose now than you've ever walked in. Somebody can walk in power in your life. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to belabor the time. I want to read from Genesis chapter 16. I'll read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 15. Genesis chapter 16, and I'll start at verse 1. As you find that, I do want to once again say it is an honor to stand before you, something that I don't take for granted, the opportunity to stand before the people of God. Genesis chapter 16, the Bible's talking about Sarai, who would later become Sarah and Abram who would become Abraham talking about a time in their life and the Bible says in verse 1 now Sarai Abram's wife bare him no children and he had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar verse 2 and Sarai said unto Abram behold now the Lord had constrained me from bearing I pray thee go in unto my maid it may be that I may obtain children by her And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Skipping down to verse 15. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. I want to preach here for the next few moments simply this. What about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence. Thank you for your anointing that we feel in this house. I ask you now, God, anoint my mind. Give me your words to speak. 
to the hearts and minds of your people, God. Let this be a living word that would take root in our hearts and in our minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. In the name of Jesus, we bind every spiritual hindrance. We bind every spiritual obstacle, God. Loose your anointing in this house. Speak to your people. Anoint your word. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. The Bible lets us know in clear and in very certain terms what the people of the world would be like in the day and time that we find ourselves living in. The Bible says that there would be wars and rumors of wars and there would be unnatural love and unnatural lust and that the earth would be filled with violence and that knowledge would increase and people would be lovers of, of themselves and lovers of money and boastful and proud and abusive and they would be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The Bible lets us know that in this day and time that we live in, that even nature itself has a role to play. That in the last days, there would be earthquakes in diverse places, and there'd be famine and deadly disease and unusual pestilences. And, and the Bible paints a very clear picture as to what would be happening in the world in the last days. And it's amazing how you can look at what's happening in our world. And, and I say all the time that you can take what the Bible says would be happening in the last days and you can lay him down next to tomorrow's newspaper and it might feel like you're reading from the same manuscript that exactly what the Bible says would be happening in our world is happening all around us. Now you can choose to look at the doom and the, the gloom and the, the godlessness and the destruction, the darkness of our world. And some people choose to look at what's happening in our world and, and they're, they're disheartened by what they see. They, they, they lose confidence because of, of what they see. They're, they're confused and they're cast down because of the condition of our world. But, but I choose to look at what's happening in our world with a different set of, of lenses because I choose to look at that, the fact and, and the same that the very fact that it's happening uh, just the way the word of God said it was going to happen. Uh, the very fact that it's playing out exactly the way the word of God said it was going to play out. Uh, that is not something uh, that's disheartening to me, uh, but that's something that gives me uh, a fresh confidence uh, that I serve a God uh, who knew the ending uh, from the beginning. Uh, it gives me a fresh confidence uh, that I serve a God uh, who is in control. Uh, you might look at this world uh, and it might feel like at times uh, it's spinning out of control. It might feel like at times that the enemy actually has the upper hand. But the very fact that it's happening, the way the word of God said it was going to happen, gives me a fresh confidence. Nothing has caught my guard by God off guard. Nothing has caught my God out of control. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, there's a God in heaven who's in control. And so we can look around our world and it's very obvious 
that the people of this world are doing everything that the Bible says the people of the world would be doing. It's very obvious that nature itself is doing everything that the Bible says that nature itself would be doing. But was somebody here this preacher this morning when I say don't become so distracted by what's happening in the world. Don't become so disheartened by what's happening in the world that you begin to lose sight of what the Bible says the church would be doing in the last days. Because the same Bible that accurately predicts what would be happening in the world, the same Bible that prophesies what would be happening in nature, that very same Bible says that in spite of what's happening in the last days, there would still be a triumphant church. That same Bible prophesies that in the last days, said God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Can I tell somebody this morning, don't become so distracted by what the world is doing that you lose sight of the fact of what you should be doing. You ought to be triumphant. My God, you ought to be victorious. You ought to be walking in purpose. You ought to be prophesying. You ought to be speaking visions. You ought to be living dreams. Amen. My God, my God. I've come to stir somebody up in this house today because I believe you and I, we find ourselves positioned in the perfect time to do some great things. The church is positioned to be great in this atmosphere. But many times when we talk about what God wants to do with the church, many times uh, we hide behind uh, the anonymity of a statement like that. And what I mean by that is many times uh, we talk about what God wants to do with the church. And we'll sometimes kind of separate ourselves uh, and kind of say, well, let me see what God is going to do with the church. But can I remind you here this morning that you are the church. You are the church. And if God's going to do something great with the church, it's going to be because you allow God to do something great with you. If God's going to take the church somewhere it's never been before, it's going to be because you make up your mind, I'm going to go somewhere I've never been before. In spite of my flaws, in spite of my failures, in spite of where I've been, in spite of what I've done, I'm going to be what God says I can be. God. Bible says that God knows the thoughts he thinks towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I believe that's a powerful verse. The Bible says that when God looks at you, he doesn't just see an end. He doesn't just see a random point of destination. But when God looks at you, God sees an expected end that God has in his mind. When he began this process in your life, God knew exactly what he wanted to make you into. God knew exactly the man he wanted you to be. God knew exactly the lady he had called you to be. He doesn't just see an end, but he sees an expected end. He sees a specific place. He sees a specific destiny in your life. It doesn't matter how you got to where you are 
today. It doesn't matter whether you were raised in church or whether you're the only one in your family who's walking with God. The God who began this work in you already has a specific plan for your life. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see where you are today, but he sees exactly where he's trying to take you. He doesn't just see exactly who you are today, but he sees exactly the person he's trying to make you into. I know in this world there are many voices in your life, many things that you and I must balance in our life. And many times there are competing interests in our life. But my prayer this morning is that everybody here will hear the voice of destiny. I don't care what anybody else might have said about your life. You're a child of purpose. You're a child of promise. But sometimes walking in purpose and walking in promise can be a tricky thing, a difficult thing, because there are many times where the promise won't seem to match our circumstances. There are times when the delay between the promise and the fulfillment can test our faith. There are times when we've made mistakes that make us wonder whether we have destroyed our promise or whether we have compromised our purpose. But God appeared to Abram at a point in his life and God told Abram that he was going to have a son. And that that son, because of that son, his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. That because of that son, there would be too many descendants to even count The Bible says that when God appeared to Abram, that Abram believed what God told him. It'd be great if life always worked this way, where the story would end there, that you would get a word from God and you would believe the promise of God. And then that promise would come to pass. But the problem in Abram's life was it didn't happen right away. Time began to pass. And with the passage of time, The the faith of Abram, the faith of Sarai began to weaken. It began to be tested. And and because there's usually a process between the promise and the fulfillment, there is usually a period of time between when God tells you what he wants to do to you and through you and when it does come to pass. It's easy to make mistakes during this process. It's easy to lose faith. During this process, it's easy to become distracted during this process. It's easy to have a life kick in and to begin to make you doubt what God has said. It's easy to begin to say, I'm pretty sure that I know what God has placed in me, but but nothing is happening yet. I used to believe it, but it's been so long that now I don't know if I really believe it anymore. I, I used to believe what God said, but but nothing has happened for so long that now my faith is weakening and my resolve is weakening within me. Uh, The problem that Abram and Sarah had was uh, they failed their test uh, during that time of waiting. Uh, Sarah said maybe we need to come up with a way uh, to make this thing happen. Uh, We have resources. We we have options. Probably we can manufacture and and, and bring the will of God to pass uh, by our own devices. Uh, Let me stop here and say uh, there's a great danger in knowing the will of God uh, and not understanding the ways of
of God. I know from experience what I'm talking about because many times, Pastor, it's easy to understand the will of God. It's easy to understand what God wants to do, but it's often difficult to understand the ways of God. It's often difficult to understand how God wants to do the thing that he says he was going to do. It won't often happen the way we think it's going to happen. It won't often happen how we think it's going to happen. And many times when we begin to question the ways of God, we begin to doubt the will of God. When we begin to question how things are happening, we begin to wonder whether we heard from God in the first. My God, I want to stop right here and preach to somebody who's in the valley of decision. Can I stop right here and preach to somebody? The enemy has been whispering that what God said is not going to come to pass. But can I tell somebody, if God said it, you can believe it. If God said it, you can count on it. If God said it, you can live by it. But Abram and Sarai, they made the mistake of trying to do God's will their way. I'll say it again. They made the mistake of trying to do God's will in their way. They began to figure maybe we can manufacture the promise of God. And so Sarai selected one of her servants, selected Hagar, and gave her to Abram to be a wife. And the Bible says that Hagar gave birth to a son, gave birth to Ishmael, and he lived in the household of Abram. But years later, God began to talk to Abram again. God told him, no, you're still going to give birth to a promise. The birth of Ishmael had not ultimately disqualified Abram from giving birth to his real promise. But this time when God spoke to Abram, the Bible says that Abram didn't believe what God was saying. He laughed at the idea of the promise now happening at his age. My God, has anybody ever been there before? I used to believe it once, but I'm not about to believe it again. I fell for it once. But it didn't happen, and now I'm not going to believe it again. But the Bible says that Abraham, in spite of that unbelief, he was still obedient, and he entered a covenant with God. And Abraham and Sarah did ultimately give birth to a son, and they called him Isaac. And so now for a time in Abraham's life, he was living with both his Ishmael and his Isaac. He was living in the same house with both the fruit of his failure and the fruit of his faith. I wonder if anybody has ever been there before. Can anybody be transparent enough to say, I've been there before, torn, living with both the evidence of what God wants to do through me and the evidence of the mistakes that I've made. And every day you can hear both the voice of your doubt and the voice of your faith. You live in the same household with both the evidence of your fear and the evidence of your faith under one roof. But the Bible says one day Sarah heard Ishmael mocking Isaac. And even though the Bible says she was fond of Ishmael, she finally told Abraham that Ishmael had to leave. We cannot live with both Ishmael and Isaac in the same home. And then God spoke to Abraham. God told Abraham to do what Sarah said. He told Abraham that Isaac was going to be the child of promise 
But that Ishmael will also be the father of many nations. But that he needed to send Ishmael and Hagar away. Abraham and his unbelief had messed up just about as bad as you could mess up. He had complicated things because he and Sarai began to doubt the voice of God, began to doubt the promise of God. He he had messed up and, and he had complicated things and perhaps he had even jeopardized the promise in his life. He had dropped the ball and, and because of what he and Sarai had done in their unbelief, there were far-reaching consequences and there remain even to this day lasting ramifications of Abraham messing up because both Isaac and Ishmael were prophesied to become great nations and that their descendants would have a lasting enmity. I'm trying to lay a foundation here. It would be almost impossible to mess up as bad as Abraham messed up after God gave him a promise. It would be almost impossible to disbelieve what God said to the extent that Abraham disbelieved the promise of God. Yet a little while back, I was reading about Abraham In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. It's amazing how you can read Scripture. There's something powerful about Scripture. You can read Scripture over and over and over again, but you read it one time and something jumps out and grabs you that's never jumped out and grabbed you before. And I began to read some Scriptures in Romans chapter 4, about Abraham, who the Bible in these passages was calling the father of the faith. And the Bible talked about Abraham. And the Bible said, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19 says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse Verse 20 says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was able to perform. I had read this passage about Abraham so many times my entire life, but I read it this time. And all of a sudden I was struck by a question. What about Ishmael? How can you say that Abraham was not weak in faith? What about Ishmael? How can you say that Abraham did not stagger? What about Ishmael? How can you say that Abraham was actually strong in faith? What about Ishmael? How can you say that Abraham was fully persuaded that God could do what he promised? What about Ishmael? How could you say that Abraham was convinced that God was able to perform? What about Ishmael? It just jumped out at me. How can you be saying all these great and grand things about a man like Abraham? How can you say he didn't stagger? Ishmael seems to me to be one of the biggest staggers that you can make. But the Bible says that Abraham was justified. I don't have a lot of time to deal with justification, but justification is a powerful principle. Justification goes far beyond simple forgiveness. 
Justification goes far beyond simply saying you're not guilty and you're free to go. When justification occurs, not only is the sin pardoned, but when justification occurs, the one who has sinned is now seen as being righteous. It's not that you're not punished. It's not simply not being punished for breaking the law. But when you're justified, you're giving credit for having fulfilled the law. When you're justified, it's not simply that you're not punished for the wrong that you did do. But when you're justified, you're giving credit for the righteousness that you did not do. When you're justified, you take on the righteousness of Christ. Somebody needs to hear this. Somebody who's bound by self-condemnation. Somebody who's bound by the whisper of the enemy that says because of where you've been, because of what you've done, you'll never be what God says you can be. I've been justified. I haven't just been forgiven, but I've been justified. Not only am I not punished for the evil I did, but God gives me credit for righteousness that I have not done. My God. I can imagine the devil hearing what the Bible says about Abraham and Romans that we just read. I can imagine the devil hearing that God said, Abraham did not stagger. I can imagine the enemy screaming, what about Ishmael? I can imagine every accusing spirit in hell hearing that God said Abraham was strong in faith. And I can hear them screaming, what about Ishmael? I can imagine those who knew the whole story. Those who knew how Abraham had fallen. I can imagine them screaming, what about Ishmael? My God. But we get a glimpse into the mind of God later when God talked to Abraham about taking the promise to the mountain. I don't have time to get into it, but God told Abraham to take Isaac and take him to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And he said in Genesis 22, verse 2, he told him to take Isaac to the mountaintop. He said, take now your son. He says, your only son, Isaac whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. There's something powerful about that one line. Take now, Isaac, your son, your only son, my God, and go do what I told you to do. Take now your son, your only son, and go to the mountaintop where I'm calling you. Take now your son, your only son, and become the man I've called you to be. It's not that God did not know about Ishmael. And hear what I'm saying. Somebody needs to hear this because this can be sensitive. It's not that God had no concern for Ishmael because of the circumstances of his birth. It's not that God had no concern for Ishmael because of the, 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 the circumstances surrounding his birth. Because God performed a miracle to save Ishmael's life. And, and God promised that Ishmael's seed was going to be great. And God answered a prayer on Ishmael's behalf. This is not about God discarding Ishmael because of who his mother was. This is not about God discarding Ishmael because of the circumstances of his birth. But when God said, take your 
son, your only son. It's not that God did not know about Ishmael, but what God is saying is that in the context of you and your promise, when I'm talking about you and your promise, when I'm talking about you and where I'm trying to take you, I don't see your Ishmael. I only see your Isaac. I don't see the fruit of your failure. I only see the fruit of your faith. I don't see the fruit of your fear. I only see the fruit of your obedience. I don't see your Ishmael. When I look at you, I only see your Isaac. When I look at you, I only see your purpose. When I look at you, I only see the promise. When I look at you, I only see the man I'm trying to make you into. When I look at you, I only see the lady I've ordained you to be. I don't see your Ishmael. All I see is your Isaac. My God. Somebody's going to be delivered from some things in this house. Somebody's going to see something different when they look in the mirror that they've never seen before. Somebody's going to rise above the whispers of the enemy that's been working to keep you where you've always been. Somebody's going to walk out of this building and walk in greater purpose than you've ever walked in. Somebody's going to walk out of this building and walk in apostolic authority and apostolic dominion. Somebody's going to walk out of this building and be changed. My God. Hear me when I say this morning that I'm not preaching a cheap and easy grace. That's something to be abused. I'm not suggesting that we continue in sin, that grace may abound. I'm not suggesting that you should try to go through life with both your Ishmael and your Isaac and that it doesn't matter. If you have Ishmael's, it doesn't matter. You can have your Ishmael and your Isaac. But what I'm trying to tell somebody is that after you receive your Isaac, you've got to let go of your Ishmael. Mike, somebody needs to hear this. After you receive your Isaac, you've got to let go of your Ishmael. And if you let go of your Ishmael, God will do the same. If you let go of your Ishmael, all of heaven will do the same. I'm trying to get somebody to rise above that trick of the enemy that he would use to keep you from walking in purpose, to keep you from walking in the promise of God for your life. Because the enemy would have you to believe that at the moment your Ishmael is born, that your promise dies. The moment that your Ishmael is born, that your purpose dies. The enemy would have you to believe that the moment that your Ishmael is born, the call of God on your life has died. But I'm preaching to somebody here today the opposite is true. When you give birth to your Isaac, it's your Ishmael that goes away. When you give birth to your Isaac, it's the Ishmael that fades into the darkness. It's the Ishmael that goes away in the eyes of God and in the eyes of heaven. What about Ishmael? What are you going to do with the Ishmael's in your life? Yes, Ishmael is real. Yes, Ishmael might be the result of something I've done. It might be the result of my failure, my fear. It might have been born out of a lack of faith in God. 
It might have been born out of frustration. My Ishmael might have been born out of my weakness, the flesh. My Ishmael might have been born because I failed God. But what am I going to do about my Ishmael this morning? There are people here this morning who are struggling because you're trying to find a way to live with both your Ishmael and your Isaac. And every time you try to walk in the promise of God, every time you try to walk in the purpose of God, your Ishmael begins to speak and begins to ridicule your Isaac. Ishmael begins to speak up, begins to say, no, God doesn't want to use you. In fact, God can't use you. I am the evidence of your mistakes. I am the evidence of your failures. You'll never be anything more than what you are right now. You'll always be a person torn between two decisions. Torn between two directions. You'll go through your entire life torn between what you were and what God wants you to be. Or perhaps there are people here this morning that you know in your heart of hearts that you've never really even given birth to an Isaac. That you've never been able to really muster up the faith to commit to the purpose of God to give yourself completely to God and to have something birthed within you. You've never really been able to have an Isaac birthed into your life. No matter where you are this morning in your walk with God, I'm getting ready to close. No matter where you are this morning in your walk with God, whether you're just now reaching out towards God, whether you've been walking with God for some time. I believe God's sitting me here to challenge somebody. It's time to let go of your Ishmael's and to grab a hold of your Isaac's. God is here this morning to renew purpose. God is here this morning to speak again. To revive dreams. To reawaken things he birthed in your spirit. God is here this morning. I hear the voice of destiny in this house. I hear the voice of destiny in this house. I hear something on the inside saying I can be what God says I can be. I can do what God says I can do. I can walk in purpose and power. I can walk in anointing. I can walk. I can become what God has called me to become. I can give birth to my Isaac. I can give birth to my promise. I can be everything that God has called me to be. But there's got to be something on the inside of you that says,
I'm not leaving this house the way I came. Can we stand all over this building? I feel something. I feel something in the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody here this morning who can join me in saying, I'm not leaving the way I came? I'm not leaving the way I came. God knows I've had some Ishmaels in my life. God knows I've had some mistakes and some failures. God knows the enemy's been whispering that I've disqualified myself and I'll never be what God has called me to be. But I'm not leaving the way I came. I'm going to grab a hold of something greater. I'm going to grab a hold of my Isaacs and I'm going to release my faith. God, if you said I could rise above where I've been, I release my faith and I receive it. God, if you say there's still a purpose and still a plan, I release my faith and I receive it. God, if you say you're here this morning to take the Ishmaels out of my life and to give me my Isaacs, I believe it. If you feel something drawing right now, don't hesitate this morning. Why don't you step out right now? Come on, step out of your seat. Make your way down to these altars and allow God to do something great in your life. Why don't you step out right now and make up your mind? I'm letting go of the Ishmael's in my life. I'm releasing the fruit of my failure. I'm letting go of the effects of my yesterdays. I'm letting go of the guilt. I'm releasing the pain. I'm releasing the self-condemnation. I'm releasing the limitation. The enemy has been trying to place on my life. And I'm grabbing a hold of my purpose. Come on, man of God. Come on, lady of God. Hear the voice of your purpose. Come on, man of God. Come on, lady of God. Hear the voice of your Isaac. Shut off the voice of your Ishmael. And hear the voice of your Isaac. Something's happening this morning. Watch me in, in the name of Jesus, we bind every attack of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we exercise our dominion. We have dominion over the attack of the enemy. We bind every whisper. We bind every limitation. We bind every self-condemnation. We bind every toxic guilt. In the name of Jesus, release a newness in this house. Come on, all over the sanctuary. All over the sanctuary. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. I'm letting some things go. And I'm grabbing a hold of my purpose. I'm letting some things go. And I'm grabbing a hold of my promise. My dirty rags are purified. I'm Freedom in this house. 